If I were to ask you to talk about the qualities essential to good leaders, what would you say? Have you thought about your list? Would integrity be somewhere near its top? How about courage or caring? And how would you teach each? Our Edge interviewee this month has spent a lifetime considering these questions. As a child, he considered himself weak and lost from a poor immigrant home with no father. But with virtuous mentors along the way, from a youth YMCA boxing coach to four-star general H. Norman Schwarzkopf, he built the character of a leader. He has been a decorated JAG officer, an assistant DA of the city of San Francisco, a best-selling writer, the head of character development at West Point, and twice a keynote speaker for the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute. He is Mr. Gus Lee. Well, good afternoon, Gus. I am so privileged and happy to be able to speak with you and talk to you about the development of character and the development of leadership. Oh, the pleasure is mine, Ted. It's uh, great to be in contact again. Thank you. So, Gus, you've twice been the keynote speaker at the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute, and I wonder if we could start by you saying something in response to the question, do you believe that leadership and character can be taught, can be developed? Uh, absolutely. Uh, if this were not true, I, I don't think we'd have institutions of learning. You and I would be uh, doing something else. How is it that, that we look out in the world and it seems that we just don't have enough examples of people who have developed and learned this this character and this leadership? Well, that's a, that's a big question. I'm going to come up with two very quick hip shot answers. Uh, the first is we tend to misunderstand what leadership is. We equate leadership really in, academically as well as being influence, the ability to influence and motivate. And there are charismatic people out there who have leadership positions, uh, but I would say in terms of character, they're not leaders. I think leaders have to be right-minded and right-hearted uh, to be true leaders. Secondly, uh, we don't intentionally develop leaders of character anymore. And uh, this is a fairly sad admission to make uh, in the United States because that was, I think, our unique specialty um, from the beginnings of the revolution forward. So how can we do it? We go back to uh, virtue ethics uh, that started our nation. Uh, if you look at our founding uh, founding fathers and the instruments uh, that they produced, uh, they're very different than the uh, political uh, products that uh, our governments and our corporations uh, and uh, private organizations produce today. Uh, they were exceptionally idealistic. They inspired the world. Um, Returning to virtue ethics means practicing the behaviors of virtue. So if we bring that into focus for a teacher in the classroom or a coach out on the sports field, what does that sure. look like? Well, if we, if we look at, at virtue ethics, we can reduce all of 2,500 years or 4,000 years of learning, of wisdom, uh, into seven behaviors. Uh, I don't know that these are the absolute seven that will survive uh, the test of time, uh, but they've lived this long, and so they're probably worth looking at. Their behaviors, which means they're observable, 
which means they are um, teachable, learnable, measurable, and then predictable. Uh, what that means is that the coach or the teacher, uh, in Gandhi's words, must model the behaviors that uh, he or she wishes from students or, uh, or athletes. Are. The first is discernment, uh, which is really moral reasoning. It's very different than the modern um, focus on critical thinking in which I can do um, intellectual heavy lifting, but I never have to answer the question, what is the highest moral action? And discernment requires that I operate and think, that I use my noodle, uh, in the moral frame. And we've shied away from this in the last half century. The shied away isn't right. We've made a, an abrupt 90-degree turn, so we avoid these because they, they sound judgmental, and then we're sounding moralistic, and we're paying a price for that because we don't have a lot of leaders left. So that's the first. Second, now that you've discerned the highest moral action, is to do the highest moral action regardless of risk to self-interest. So instead of hearing stories about morally courageous people, students following the modeling of their teachers and coaches practice doing the highest moral action as youth. The third is to teach the highest moral action to others. So now every person of advancing character becomes a teacher, which is the essence of the Chinese Lao Shi or the Jewish uh, rabbi. The teacher is not just a conveyor of knowledge. The, the teacher is a vector for moral development work. Uh, the next four behaviors are really descriptive of moral courage as opposed to physical bravery or valor. And the first, or I should say the fourth behavior therefore, is to morally correct the self, to look in the character mirror and to candidly admit recognize, discern that which is not right in me as a moral being, and then to repair it. That I was someone who always wanted to get along and be accepted, um, to be socially safe. I often was not, but that's what I sought. And um, when I was in the army, um, my, my brigade commander, my boss, uh, broke the law, and it was reported to me, and I had a choice of looking the other way and advancing my career or uh, challenging him respectfully and asking him to reverse his position. Uh, uh, and I had actually been taught this at West Point. I knew how to do it, but I was actually terrified to execute it. Um, but I did it, and that was consistent and not with the, you know, uh, take care of your family and and uh, take care of your health, which tend to be now the new American core values, uh, but instead um, advocate principles. Do the right thing regardless of risk to career. So I did confront my boss. Uh, he did fire me. Uh, um, and there were negative uh, professional consequences that flowed for a while. Uh, but in the end, I was uh, decorated by the Army. Um, he was fired. He was forced out of uh, uniform, and uh, the Army made me into an ethicist. I think there's also these other moments that I'm, I'm drawing from your, your stories, your examples, there's other moments where a teacher is living this and doesn't necessarily 
have to talk about this stuff that happened because it may be personal. It may not be professional to share it. And yet there's something different in that teacher who is looking in the character mirror. Exactly. Um, we know this as fundamentally as um, how people treat us, uh, you know, in the schoolyard, in the classroom, uh, in the supermarket uh, while driving. Um, a person will either, we're very binary, will either be consciously respectful, consistently of the moral needs of others, or we will not. Wharton School of Business did a 10-year study of 65 nations and cultures uh, to determine what does the world think? What do 65 cultures think is effective leadership? It's called the GLOBE study, and the GLOBE study found in 1994 is a universal understanding of what constitutes an effective leader. And that person is relationally uh, accessible, not remote. Um, we now call that transparency to a certain extent. Uh, and the person is a good example of how to live. It's human. You know that when I was, a, well, I'd say, a, a nine-year-old kid, uh, really being raised by the Central YMCA in San Francisco. I came from a uh, sort of a busted-up immigrant family. Um, that at nine, which is when I got glasses, I could see the world. I knew which of my boxing instructors, uh, gymnastic uh, instructors, swim instructors, the faculty at the YMCA, uh, which people in the front office, which people in the cafeteria. I knew which of them were morally trustworthy and I sense those who are not. And I could see how coaches treated other kids. And I was the worst athlete and the one who spoke the least English and understood the least about American culture. So I was always behind the curve. And I didn't have to look around very far to see how they were treating others because I could see how they were treating me. And the ones who were patient uh, and kind. There was a kindness inside their chests about my, my many deficiencies. Uh, I knew this person was trustworthy. And uh, I felt a sense of safety that I think children um, tend to have very strongly. How long will it take before Gosh, it seems like such a tall order and a high mountain. How long, in, in your experience, how long will it take if I put forward some good effort according to these tools to really make a difference? Uh, first, in, in, in myself, uh, I'd give it uh, a year. Uh, and that would be, that'd be pretty fast. Now, the advantage for a teacher is that you've been in the field of character uh, all your life. But you've certainly seen the absence of character as well as, as its crowning achievements. So what that comes down to is you're, you've been in the field. And that's why I think with intentional practice and, and with, you know, you need a coach for this. It's like violin. You just can't pick up the violin and hope to succeed. You need a violin teacher. So you, you, you need someone who, who knows this field. Uh, who can guide you, give you feedback, encourage you, because your interest will flag at times, uh, as with all hard things. And of course, what we master inside of ourselves, then we're that much more effective at teaching it and guiding it in others. Exactly. 
model, nothing works like modeling and nothing works like taking apart your object if you don't model it. Uh, think of prominent people in American life and government, the military, um, where a fall from grace, one slip across a 35 year career and it's erased. Now I'll tell you two things because <clears throat> I, I know this is where I began my work. It's working with executives and leaders and officers who have failed morally. Everyone makes mistakes, but when you make a moral failure, it, it really produces a, a face flop. Number one, the people who failed did not have an accountability partner, what I call a Nathan, if you know the story from, uh, from the book of Samuel. Nathan confronted King David with his weaknesses, risking his neck, but he didn't do it to be popular. He did it to be loyal to principle. Uh, secondly, um, they, these individuals, these leaders of prominence, demonstrated flaws and demonstrated these weaknesses prior to the collapse. And people who were responsible for them said nothing. So you don't need an accountability partner. Everyone's a boss. Everyone has peers. Everyone has relatives. Um, but these people were able to use charm and persuasion and threats and coercion to keep feedback away. And as a result, they crashed. Gosh. And Gus, what your story makes me think about is the number of years that these same character traits and flaws were right obvious and apparent in the classroom. Maybe they weren't obvious, maybe they were subtle, but the teacher who paid attention and the teacher who invited a classroom of people to be candid with each other, this all could have been stopped before anybody ever graduated high school. Exactly. And, and I, I've been guilty of this, uh, Ted, myself. Uh, when, when, when I taught college, I'd have a, a sterling student, uh, top of the class, uh, who really liked me and liked my subject matter. So already I'm, you know, I've, I'm becoming putty. And because of this person's um, academic achievements and um, general overall personality attractiveness, um, I'm less supposed to give any useful character feedback to this individual. I, I impart to this person a, a patina of perfection. Uh, what what harm I'm doing? I'm I'm telling the student, you know, if, as long as you're smart, and you get along with your teachers, you're bulletproof. And it's a lie. That's a fiction. This is an enormously important principle. I'm so glad that that this has come forward because it it gives a a very clear practice point for a teacher, which is to say, look at all of your students, and and you're the mentor. Notice right. where they're strong and where they're weak and make sure that, that when they leave your classroom in the spring, that they've had practice and feedback, not only in terms of how well they're improving their writing or their mathematics or their science, whatever it is, but make sure that they've gotten some solid, kind, but solid feedback about some of their character flaws too. Exactly. The best mentor I had at West Point was H. Norman Schwarzkopf. And I was failing his course in uh, uh, mechanical engineering in junior year. And he tutored me one-on-one -on -one in his quarters on Saturday afternoons. Um, and at the point that I did a breakthrough, the really, what I thought was a, a really challenging 
uh, bridging program, uh, bridging problem. I, I, I was familiar with them enough at this point. We were eating hot dogs together and we'd become pals of sorts. And I, I jumped out of my chair in his small quarters and I whooped around his room, you know, doing a victory lap. Uh, and he, he looked at me with a certain degree of tolerance. And, and then he, he said, so Gus, I, I want you to figure out how you can use this breakthrough to help some of your classmates in your own company. You know, and it was like, oh, this wasn't all just for me. <laughs> and you see, because of my teacher's intervention in my life, uh, and I could talk about a number of them, um, you know, before West Point. Um, but because of his intervention in, in my life, purposeful, intentional character intervention, um, we have four kids um, who are really leading very morally prosperous lives. They're thriving um, in this world. It, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to get every promotion or all the material stuff, but, but their relationships are sound. They're, they're based on principles that are a lot stronger than whatever weaknesses their father had. And you can track, you can do the audit trail and go right back, right through my chest and find behind me uh, Coach Tony at the YMCA, Coach Tony at the YMCA, Mrs. Marshall in my senior English composition class, H. Norman Schwarzkopf. And uh, you know, our, our, when the teacher resolves, regardless of the obstacles, to be a moral agent and a moral model uh, to his or her students, uh, something very magical happens that otherwise is totally uh, non-existent. Gus, that's wonderful. It's a great note to end on. Thank you so much. It's practical and important and deep all at the same time. Well, Ted, thank you very much. And just uh, bravo for, uh, you know, you're, you're blazing a path uh, to get this right. Um, so that teachers and uh, education are um, not only uh, optimally effective, uh, but that they're right, which advances the effectiveness.